Welcome to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with Opera Holland Park's Director of Opera, James Clutton. In conversation with creatives and collaborators, we explore the process of putting opera on stage and how the artists involved approach their craft. Hello, I'm James Clutton, Director of Opera at Opera Holland Park. Welcome to From the Producer's Office. I've got with me a very special guest today, a knight of the realm, the very great Sir Thomas Allen. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Morning, James. I'm, I'm really well, thanks very much. I'm glad to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's really great to see you. And um, how's it been for you during this, you know, pretty awful time? We're, t- we're talking in September 2020. How's it been through this awful time for you? Uh, interesting, to say the least. I mean, it's, it's a really, it seems to me it's rather, a, a, it's become a kind of telescope or rather a compact history. You know, when you think of going back to March, when I had uh, very explicit instructions from a, um, a doctor to say that you're in now you're in for the duration and it looked at the time like 12 weeks yeah. for various reasons he said that to my wife and i and uh, so we we were reliant on uh, the kindness of two or three neighbors and uh, they they shopped for us on a regular basis for I, I forget how long but quite what we'd have done without them i don't know if we were you know persistent in observing the rules and we did observe the yeah, but it actually makes you. It's 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 been quite quite a productive process, and and I haven't not enjoyed it. I must say. Yeah, there were certainly parts of lockdown that um, away from the destruction of our industry and everything. But there's certainly mm. parts of lockdown that I did enjoy of of the the absolute certainty of it. You know that you know there wasn't any leeway about going out. You knew what you knew yeah. what you were meant to do, and in in some ways that was easier than now, where it's a little bit more mixed. But um, we'll talk about our industry a bit more as we as we go through. But um, let's let's go back to the beginning. When you were growing up, Tom, was there a lot of uh, classical music or music of any sorts in your household, the family? Um, not much classical. Uh, although, you know, having thought back over this uh, over many years now, I do remember opening the um, the piano stool, the famous piano stool, and there there was a volume of Beethoven sonatas in there. Right. A big, uh, thick um, uh, Schirmer volume, I think, with a yellow back on it, that my dad must have bought at some point along the line. And then we, two of us managed the slow movements of the pathetique and the moonlight, and, and very little else has to be said. <laughs> the, 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 the fast passages were, were always beyond me, but I enjoyed playing that. Then we bought some Bach. Uh, there was a transcription, a piano transcription of Finlandia, at my grandparents' house, so I think I think they'd come across Finlandia through um, Methodist hymn singing. Uh, so uh, there was that, but other than that, there was very little. Or, the local oratorios, and then the amateur dramatics, but um, serious music. Um, I mean, really serious music, and hearing concerts uh, with orchestra. Nothing. So it was a surprise when you realised that you were gifted at this. Was it? Was that a surprise to you and the family? Well, I didn't know it was a gift. I just sang the way so many other people did. You know, uh, there were, I I knew no precedent from for someone like myself. Although just up the road, though I didn't know it at the time, was Sheila Armstrong in mm-hmm. Ashington, and of course Owen Brannigan before that. But in my home area, there, there wasn't a great deal of, <laughs> of transference down south where it, where it had to be basically in those days. Anyhow, in the in the, when, the middle sixties. Uh, so, it, it really, it was I was a kind of cuckoo in the nest at school. I didn't know quite what to do with me. I'd wanted to do, um, I, I'd 
studied science subjects at school with a view to medicine, but actually, truthfully, that was a bad decision made when I was about 12 and a half. Um, and I should, have been, I should have been doing languages or art or something of the humanities, I think. But uh, anyhow, music got in the way and I started singing on a, on a regular basis. I was a star of the Townswomen's Guild concert circuit. Um, before I went to college. And, there you uh, go, heights, heights never reached like that again. That's an incredible thing. <laughs> <laughs> but when I've talked to a lot of people on here, Tom, and, uh, and, and there's often a person, either a, um, a choir master or, or a, a school teacher or something that, that spotted something and said something to you at some point. Was there someone like that for you? Well, I had, I had one or two good, good people in my life. There was a man called Brian Glading who taught me, began uh, me on organ lessons when I was a choir boy. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he was a very fine musician, unusually good for, uh, you know, a, a, a colliery town parish church that known as the Miners Cathedral in the town, a big, big, yeah. big church. But he, we had a Harrison Harrison organ. I learned on that and he guided me in a way, took me to Durham Cathedral for my first experience of sitting in the stalls and hearing a proper church choir. Wow. Um, and then after that, uh, the, the man most instructive, I think, was, was my physics master, a man mm. called Dennis Weatherly, and uh, he was a fine singer, a really fine singer. Mm. And uh, there were many local singers, you know, and he was one of them. And it, but he'd been more than that. He'd gone and done uh, research, science research, during the war here in London and became a member of the BBC Singers. Mm. And then he went back to the Northeast and... Uh, Made, made himself a schoolmaster there, and that was his life. But he taught me to sing in the lunch hours at school, okay. gave me lessons, and, uh, and, and that, that was the real pointer for me. Right, so he was, he was someone who did say to you, you've got something that you should really yeah. play on that. Yeah. yeah, I sang on a school concert that he played for me. You know, we had sort of auditions, I suppose. Offerings came up from various mm -hmm. recorder groups and things of that sort, and this... Mm -hmm. this um, baritone of sorts just recently out of short pants offered a, um, Simon the Cellarer which I sang on a school concert he played for me and he said look there's something something there's a quality in your voice I'd like it. would you be interested in that and I said yes and uh, took it from there fantastic so you know a couple of years or well, a few years later whatever you came down to London to the Royal College yes um, was that a, was that a massive deal for you at the time the move to London and and the Royal College itself huge huge horrible hated it right. uh, just the business of going to the station getting on a train and leaving home and right. leaving my family behind it felt as though i was going to the moon or something i had no experience of it very two members of my family two cousins of mine had gone to college and done uh, their various degrees and things but other than that there was no experience in the family we were a very tight group and i was part of that group and to be torn away from it was was hideous and i i can remember the nausea i used to feel every time sitting down to lunch knowing i had an afternoon train to get sitting right. down to not being able to eat all of all of those horrible feelings yeah but not uncommon funnily enough i was talking to my my agent came i don't think she broke any rules she came for lunch yesterday soon <laughs> i think that's okay at the moment yeah <laughs> Well, it was yesterday, whenever yesterday was. And uh, she had exactly the same experience. She came out of modest background in, in um, some area of uh, clinician, I think, in Cardiff or somewhere, yeah. uh, but Cardiff, and went to Oxford to do a degree at Oxford. And uh, 
the, the, the trans, transposition from from that community to the Oxford community and what she met when as me, immediately she arrived there was very difficult to uh, to bear. And I found exactly the same. I mean, I very nearly went in on the first day at college, heard what I heard, and almost turned around to go across the road and get the 73 cross back to King's Cross and go home again. It took me took me a while. How old you, would you have been then, roughly, Tom? About 19, I think. Right. 19. Big deal, isn't it? It, it, it? Well, it seems immature when you describe it like that. I mean, I've just got two grandchildren. Uh, one of them can't wait to get here. To, they live in Devon. One of them can't wait to get here and start at university college doing a degree. I mean, she's just longing to get away from Devon to get to London and to start yeah. this new phase of her life. The other one has gone on a, a football scholarship to California. She's now mm -hmm. in California uh, and about to start. She's in a bubble of five other girls living in a very nice house. Thank you very much. And uh, this morning was scraping uh, uh, ash from the tops of cars and various things that I've just heard about because of the fires. But she's as happy as a bee, had no problem at all. But the, their preparation for it, there was preparation for it. I didn't have any preparation. I had no idea how it would impact upon my particular yeah. uh, kind, my type. So thank, thankfully for all of us, you didn't go back across the road and get on the 73 back to King's Cross. But once you started getting into that, did, was it a quite a quick transition once you were there to enjoying that, enjoying that um, area of education, higher education with the music? I did enjoy it, but we weren't very taxed. I mean, I remember on the first day of a lecture finishing and then going down the road to Kensington High Street to the big Odeon and watching the longest day. It was the, the longest film I could possibly have chosen. Uh, and it filled in the time as far as I was concerned. Right. But slowly I began to, I was singing in the various choirs in the, in the building and then slowly began to be heard. I was studying second subject uh, organ with Harold Dark, right. Dr. Harold Dark of all people. He couldn't quite believe the the um, ineptitude when I sat down at the organ to play for <laughs> um, so he he said what are you doing here exactly I said well I'm uh, I'm a singer so more often than not I would play something from the Orgelbüchlein uh, a little bit of something or Rosimedra or whatever something very straightforward and simple and then he would get on the on the stool himself and play some Handel and I would sing Handel arias for him and he, he liked that much more um, and we we did quite a bit of that. Um, so it was, it was, I began to feel more comfortable as time went by and then people would ask me to do things and slowly but surely the recognition that you're not so bad after all, perhaps, you know, you thought that one, that base was going to be, he's on the scholarship, he's got the scholarship, she's got a scholarship, you haven't got a scholarship, maybe you're not so good. And, but slowly I began to come to the top. Right. And was it a good nurturing place at that time, the college? It was, but nothing like it is now, I think. Um, I, I think um, the business itself has moved on uh, out of all recognition from what it used to be. When I think of um, being there recently and, and um, directing Figaro, well, at the time I was there, the level of performance that I was seeing was nothing to be compared with with, with what what's uh, possible there now yeah. the students are so much further advanced i think I, I which i think comes as a result of recognizing how many of us um th there are two or three generations now that have mm. if not more that have gone abroad and made their careers around the world yeah. and i think 
for them to witness that and know what is possible yeah. is, uh, is created a pathway in a, in a way, I suppose. I think that is absolutely true. I, I mean, I think it's a very good age for singers, British singers and British bass singers. Mm. There's a lot of good singers around, because, but I think a lot of that is because of people like yourself that have done it broken through and then gone back and helped these people, you know, these singers and the start of their career. I think what, you know, we don't have a reputation necessarily for producing um, a Luciano Pavarotti or a Joan Sutherland. They're, they're, they're rare birds, they're rara aves truly. Yeah. Uh, when they do come along, you, you, you nurture them and they, they make a, a, a lasting, an eternal impact really. I think, you know, a, a voice like Pavarotti or, or Sutherland, I think it will always be there to refer to. What we produce, what we are good at, is the um, persistence of study, of delivering high-quality, well-prepared, stylistic uh, music. There are great singers, don't get me wrong. There are really, really fine singers delivering that stuff. You can't succeed and get a career unless you can do that. Uh, But we're consistently good in in presenting in that sort of way. Mm. And they're, they're realizing that it's not just about a voice; it's often no, so many other things. Indeed, indeed. Well, I think um, we. So you came out of this. Go back to you again now, but we'll go back to the, today's singers a bit later. Um, you came out of the Royal College, and the first major role was at um, WNO. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Company um, now. Were they always a great company, Tom? Welsh they were terrific. I mean, I, I, the latter part of my stay at the Royal College, I met up with James Lockhart. And James Lockhart had just been appointed, um, he'd gone from Covent Garden to be appointed music director at Welsh National. And he said, why don't you come and, um, we're looking for people, we're developing the company, growing it, uh, come and do an audition. So I auditioned and I was given a couple of understudies, I seem to remember, in Boris Godunov. Um, and then the understudy of Figaro, uh, and they, I got managed to get one performance of Figaro and the role of the Marquis d'Aubigny in Traviata yeah. on a little tour. So my debut um, uh, was at Haverford West Secondary School, I think, in, in Traviata, and the um, as Figaro was at uh, Wrexham Technical College, if I remember rightly. <laughs> so, but it, life was like that for about three years after that, back and forth to Welsh National, being on contract to them and you know singing four roles a week for about 35 quid right i was going to ask because i know you were a company member at uh, the opera house a bit later but i didn't know you're a company member at, at wno yes, as well. yes you know. three years three years and it was a wonderful blooding for me because I'd, I'd barely been on a set put on stage mm. uh, before that so touring to various venues and various theaters around the country yeah. different conditions different yeah. the, the whole way of living of, of just moving yeah. around gigs, all that sort of thing and then having to perform that evening it was it was a it was a real insight uh, as to whether you, you were suited to this business or not so why do you think the company uh, format um, fell out of fashion in this country at least um i think uh probably i i don't know Maybe it was lack of investment, lack of interest. Mm. When Jeremy Isaacs, uh, it, it happened in other places too. Uh, Frankfurt is the, is the prime example now of st- surviving after a fashion, um, having a company, a regular uh, fixed company of 50 odd principals, I think. And a very good uh, singer. They're great, great singers at Frankfurt. Terrific. And uh, they've decided that that's how they want to pursue their policy. When I arrived in Munich, 
there was a, a company, most of whose, who, whose names I knew from Deutsche Grammophon recordings going back, I don't know when, to Böhm and Karajan and everything else, but the names were all there and they were all associated with Munich. And when similarly at Covent Garden when I started, it was the tail end of the great company. And those, if they hadn't been in the company fully, there were artists, great artists associated with it. And I mentioned Sutherland already. I mean, Geraint Evans, Michael Langdon, uh, Vickers was in there on a regular basis. There were some terrific names, you know, uh, that, that called his home. Yeah. And I, 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 I benefited from that. Sure. I mean, because I've always tried to, I mean, we're only a, a, a summer festival, uh, although we do work throughout the year in our outreach work, but we're a summer festival, so we, we can never have a year-round company. But I've tried my best over the last decade, particularly, to, to, to make it as close to a repertory company and feel as you can, because I think I, you bring new people in all the time, but if you've got a, if you've got a core of yeah. people that know you, that you know them, the audience knows them, and they've seen the progression of that singers. There's something Absolutely. personal about it. There's so, there's so much to be gained from that. There's so much uh, positive about it, I think. In Welsh National, we used to regularly put on something like Bohem, and yeah. we were all company members, you know, touring yeah. around. Know one another. You may not be getting um, a Metropolitan Opera or a Covent Garden uh, Opera uh, standard of of uh, uh, performance at the end of it all but again it's this amalgam of things you've, yeah. got, a, you've got the benefit of really good singers uh, who know one another mostly very very uh, adept at getting around the stage yeah. um, and, and that was terrific fun I learned huge amounts from that and when Jeremy you asked about a company what what happened to them well it was gradually dwindled down to nothing I think people wanted more and more to find um, freedom and, and to become freelance. I did after five years at the garden. I, I had a pile at the side of my desk of oh my. contracts and offers that I, I couldn't, um, uh, couldn't, couldn't accept. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe this is a, a signal to me that, that it's time to move on and become freelance. Yeah. But when Jeremy Isaacs, after years of that, Jeremy Isaacs came to Covent Garden and he interviewed asked a few of us in to have a chat about things generally about the business. And I said, look, my own failing is that, uh, and this is my own failing, that I love the idea of company work and the benefits that one gets from a company, what, what accrues from that. Mm -hmm. And I think you would do yourself a lot of good if yeah. you were around people like myself and, uh, and, and various others, uh, if they would be interested in an evening contract, a limited evening contract to appear at different times. Yeah medium roles, big roles, small roles, whatever it might be, but just to be a member of the company and sign up to that. Hmm, he took it on board and then nothing ever happened. <laughs> the in, interest had gone really, I think, in it, which it saddens me in a way, because um, apart from anything else, the, you go to a theater and there's a, there's a man in, um, there was a man in, in Munich uh, and Court Mall was like this too, actually. Uh, the great court mall you would go to the theater and it was a club yeah. as much as their workplace uh, but, but I, I had to go back late in the evening I remember on one occasion I left my uh, fee behind would you believe in the safe so I, I went back there at two o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning I went back to the to the National Theater in Munich knocked on a rang a bell somebody the night porter came and I said I left the pop up and then I went up to the men's dressing room area and there was a light from under one of the doors, two o'clock in the morning. Mall, Court Mall and various others are in there playing cards. 
Alfred Kuhn, one of the great basses there, carried the basses there. Well, that was their club. They, they use it. That was home. And when it wasn't there any longer for them, mm. they diminished. I think that's the thing, because also, because I, long, long time ago, was worked in a straight theatre as well. And I think that a lot of people then, I came in the tail end of it, a lot of people then were still really missing the days of the proper repertory yes. companies and regional yeah. theatre. Yeah. And the ability that it gave you in plays, and I think in opera as well, to to get a couple of roles and know you had to do a couple of roles quickly and get yeah. them on. You could improve and, and, and make them much more subtle over a period of time, but the first thing was learn a role this week, get it yeah. on stage this week, and it was a good and, grounding. And you're rehearsing one thing in the afternoon and, and doing another show in the evening. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's an element of the art and the craft in all of that, that being involved in. It's, it's a terrific blooding. I mean, those that benefit, that came through the opera for all the system, yeah. You know, the van, you'd put a couple of flats in there, you'd set off a piano, the, the pianist would be there, he'd be driving the van that morning, you'd set up and do all of that stuff. There were, there were terrific lessons to be learned in that. I think so. The nearest we've got to it, our place, apart from people coming back uh, often, regularly, and, 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 and a real sense that I've tried to move people up through the company, there's a lot of our principals that started for us at, at Home Park as um, in the chorus, but which is always a good thing because then people in the yeah. court now think oh i could get to be i could get to be that well but i think that also part of it is that is that real sense of um in the choruses you do get to do so many more different productions if you're in a, in a course and even at our place you normally do two or possibly four and the stage time that you talked about a little while ago about going to welsh that's the thing when you're a young singer just being on stage oh it's invaluable getting that getting that overall look of of stage craft but also getting used to who's how people sing in different ways how they prepare it's a really great that's where you really start learning isn't it i agree i agree with all of that <laughs> i mean i seem to remember someone telling me early early in the early stages of how to get across a stage from stage right to stage left and i've worked with various singers i, I won't mention any names but one sticks in the mind very particular you couldn't do it i mean <laughs> always conscious of that fourth wall you know so consequently you get into a kind of ginger rogers routine as you're going across the stage crossing feet doing all sorts of things we, um, we go on to names on that and put that as the x-rated uh the the, the, you know, <laughs> yeah, the other version yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh it's it, the beauty of it is when you become accustomed to it it becomes your domain you know yeah. it's like it's like as ushi herman said to me once in salzburg tom you're like a fish in Basa. And I, it's how I feel. I just love love being out there. You know, it's 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 a playground. Yeah. Do you have rituals when you go on stage in the preparation for going on stage? Have you got a certain things you do in order, or do you just get to it? And... No, no. I just try to get there on time. I, 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 That's better know, than some of, people. <laughs> you you hear you hear of these instances where there, there's a gap. I mean, I've certainly been involved in those instances when somebody didn't turn up who should have been on stage. Uh, the, the funny one that I committed at Glyndebourne on one occasion, I was sitting on the floor, actually, in the dressing room area in the corridor in my costume, having a cup of tea with Kay, my dresser. And I suddenly heard something on the, uh, on the tannoy system. It was a Haydn opera, so we weren't particularly familiar with it. It was aware. So I'm sitting on the floor listening to this thing. God, I should be on. So I up, threw the cup aside, ran to the stage, got on stage, and thought, hmm, I'm early. <laughs> Not late, early. That's a difficult one to deal with. Then you sort of 
wander around thinking, yes, the chandelier looks very nice today. How brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, lost a bit of the narrative of that, but I think it's great. I'd just rather talk to you. But Covent Garden and Glyndebourne, you made debuts um, uh, and, and then out to the Met as well. Mm. All of those at different times just feel the right the right step at the right time. You're always happy with those steps, or was it was it an, continued to be a nervous thing? The next step, the you know the next uh, part of your career. It, it varied, I think. Really, you know, if it, I made my debut at Glanbourne, I was in the chorus in '69. I sang Papageno there in '73. So uh, with Welsh national magic flute as well, with, uh, under Michael Gilliard and, and James Lockhart. I had a, a, a very good grounding in a role that is not the most demanding musically, yeah. but it, it puts you at the centre of the piece and it's a, it's a very gratifying role for, for, from that point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that Chickenade, a good singer, you know, is an indication of the level of uh, performer you have. So to make my debut at the Met as Papageno was uh, not as daunting as it would have been if I'd been there to sing De Luna in yeah. Trovatore or whatever. It's, uh, it was a fun evening and, uh, and I enjoyed it. So it was a, a good way into that. And, and I've got to just remark on something you just said there. So you were doing Glyndebourne Chorus and four years later at Glyndebourne you did Papagena. Mm -hmm. That's a great, that's a great progression in what same company, isn't it? That's what, that's just what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 and they were generous. They were very generous in, 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 in gifting me that because uh, I went there to get experience, not having been on stage, as I say, I hadn't studied opera. It was something that I just threw myself into for uh, survival, <laughs> making money. And so I found myself in the chorus there for the, the experience and they got to know me during that summer um, and I was an unknown, as I say, so they liked what they heard. They gave me the understudy of Albert, the most boring man in opera. Um, <laughs> did that, they liked what, what I did with Albert. Um, if anything, anybody can do anything with Albert. And then started to talk to me about uh, future plans and what I was hoping to do and what my um, object would be. And, uh, and then offered me the Christie Prize. Right. And, uh, and at that point, Welsh National Opera stepped up and said, but we need you in Wales. So I had this, what seemed like the most earth shattering dilemma of saying, Glyndebourne, Welsh National, uh, what do I do? And I went to Welsh National, but, right. uh, and I thought, well, I'll never go back to Glyndebourne, but that, God bless them, they, they came back in four years offering me Papageno. Fantastic. And I think you, basically come to the same uh, terminus to which by whichever route you choose yeah uh, and it worked out it worked out okay yeah i think yeah i think it's it certainly worked out okay um do you think mozart's been the composer you've you've performed on stage the most yes yes um and i think most satisfactorily and most uh 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 pleasing as far as I was concerned. I seemed suited to what his demands were. Although he was writing for a voice lower than where mine comfortably sits. Uh, but I think a lot of, you know, because of the development of the high baritone voice, which mine always was, uh, Mozart wouldn't necessarily be the obvious choice. Although he did write in extremis on occasion. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first Count's aria, for example, is more like Carmina Burana than, uh, than, than Mozart's normal writing. Um, uh, but uh, no, yeah, it, well, 
to put it bluntly and, and crudely, he, he paid the mortgages more than anybody else. Uh, but I mean, having said that, um, the three Da Ponte operas in particular were uh, meat and drink to me. And, and, and my God, how fortunate one is to have that uh, at one's fingertips. Yeah, it's because there, there are works of great genius. And I always stress this when talking about this stuff, that uh, not only Mozart, it's that Da Ponte element as Absolutely. well. And it wouldn't be were it not for him. No, no, I completely agree. Have you got a favourite uh, Mozart role, Tom? Um, I mean, I love performing Don Giovanni. It's terrific. And I had, you know, a lot of success with it because, I don't know, it, it unleashed a devil that was deep inside me. And you have licence to do that as a performer. <laughs> but I think going, I, I keep going back to Figaro. And uh, it, it really is the most extraordinary piece. They're all extraordinary. I think, I think Giovanni comes three. I think it's Figaro, Così, and Giovanni in that order, as far as I'm concerned. And Figaro, working on Figaro, the, the many, many layers that there are of it, and the, under, the, the understanding of the human condition is really extraordinary. But it takes time to do that. Yeah, yeah. What we're doing, we're, uh, you know, God willing, with everything going on, you know, Figaro opens our 21 season um, oh, this year. I mean, it's always a great piece to work on. I love, I love working on it. It's and, huge. Uh, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. You know, doing it at the college uh, most recently, uh, someone, uh, Michael there, Michael Rosewell there and, and others said, let's, let's do Figaro. And you think, yeah, great, do Figaro. It's immense. Yes, <laughs> it's four four yeah. big acts. And it's like, it's, like a, it's like a tsunami coming out day after day after day, yeah. you know, dealing with the various aspects of it. But so satisfying and so challenging. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful piece. You said about doing it at the, at the college, but I saw, you know, I wanted to go on to this anyway. You, you, a few years ago now, you moved into directing as well. Mm -hmm. I saw your figure up at Scottish Opera, which was wonderful. Was it a big jump for you, or did you sort of had a, a career's worth of singing, thinking, I'm going to direct at some point? Or was that, was that a, a different... Never, different never No, I never know what I'm going to do. Uh, I never have an idea. There's always one of my toys takes over i think i'll just spend my time working on some wood which i've been doing these last four and a half months nice. <laughs> um so i'm not thinking of the music business and career i had no plans mm. and oddly enough it was a man in new york uh, i was there on one occasion at the met and a man called joel revson came up to me and he said tom have you ever thought of directing and i said no and he said well uh, think about it. What would you, if you were going to be directing, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And without much hesitation, I said Albert Herring. Right. Because I think it's a, it's not as big as not as big as Figaro, yeah. um, but it it captures um, uh, a segment of life, uh, and I think um, Britain did this brilliantly in in understanding the carriers and putting them together, and uh, and it's a community, a, a village community that. Uh, all of which I recognize somehow. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that, that was my answer to it. And you know, funnily enough, that man died as a result of COVID uh, just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the fellow. So he's one of the friends I've lost in, in this period. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, I, I didn't do it, but Neil Mackey then came to me at, at some point and he said, if you ever choose to, in his Scots accent, if you ever choose to, uh, no, that was Irish. Um, <laughs> if you ever choose to do some um, directing, I want first choice, you know, I want right. you for first choice. 
and uh, and that was at the Royal College, and that was Albert Herring, mm-hmm. and I I loved it. It meant uh, I had to start thinking about how I would do it, mm-hmm. who I would do it with as a designer, and I'd known Roger Butlin for mm-hmm. years and years and years from early early Billy Bud days at Welsh yeah. National, and so so and Magic Flute, um, so. I got in touch with Roger and we took it from there. And that's the bit I like most about it, really, collaborating with the, the designer. Really interesting. Uh, Roger is a great guy. You know, we, worked on, we worked together once as well. Um, Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on a Barbieri. Um, ah. um, but I think with, with that thing, uh, is it because you've had such a, you know international and, and fa- fabulous career? Um, I was thinking like a football manager that's been a star player. Is it, did you find it easy for you to explain to other, to younger singers that were coming through them what you wanted? Because you can do it so naturally, so much of what you do. Did, was, that a, was that a good thing, an easy thing for you to find, or was that a problematic thing? I wouldn't say it was problematic, but it's, it's certainly something of which one is aware when it's happening. Um, I mean, the, the difficulty for me, I think, is that it's very easy to demonstrate what you want to happen, especially if you're working with a student body. And that's not to say that they're not competent to do it for themselves. So many of them are, but sometimes you have to say the, the technique of, and the, and the, and the way the, 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 if you, um, if you destructure this, uh, Mm -hmm. this particular gag, this joke, this, this, theatrical situation this is how it works he mm-hmm. enters there you come on from there there needs to be a pause all of that occasionally needs to be explained yeah. otherwise you just get rat a tat tat recitation of, of recitative mm-hmm. um, and so I find myself having to explain that as well as trying to direct something which makes things mm-hmm. makes things that little bit a uh, little bit more complicated mm-hmm. and also a lot of my directing has been to do with Mozart in that particular period. So you're constantly dealing with um, aspects of mannerisms and behavior and posture and what have you. All of these things, uh, I think, are interesting to take into account. I yeah. mean, that doesn't make me a, a dinosaur or a museum piece. No. I just, it's something that, that, that uh, it's knowledge that, that could so easily diminish and be lost to us. So yeah. I tried to uh, hold on to some of that. Indeed. But I, I no, it, the, the other thing that I did find initially was that when there was a silence came into the room, uh, it was because the singer in me was waiting for the director to say something. <laughs> then I had to remind myself, oh, I'm directing this. It's time for me to say something. You, you're on, you know, you're on your feet. You're on, you, there's no time off. You're there on the ball the entire period Indeed. of that rehearsal. But I remember a few years ago now, um, yeah, I know you worked um, at a production of Johnny Skeeky in the States with Woody Allen directing. And yeah. uh, Woody Allen um, uh, shot a scene of a film at, at our place at Holland Park one year. Um, and uh, me and Mike and a few of us were all extras in this, um, in this film he was shooting there. Anthony Hopkins was going to the theatre and, and he came to our place. And so in the chats before, once we got past the um, security and everything, even though it was our place, I, I said to him, oh, you've been working, um, you know, with, with a friend of mine, Tom Allen out there and, and directing him. And he said, oh, I, I just leave that to Tom. Tom knows what he's doing. I go, and, I go and sit in the restaurant on the opposite side of the road while he does this amazing work and I come back and get the credit for it. And it just made me laugh that he was so sort of, he understood what you could do on stage and how a great singer can just do, bring so much to the party. 
Yeah. I wasn't on my own. I was with a cast of really fine performers who could all do that. And um, how can I put this? We had to. Well, I, <laughs> I, think, I think that story, though, shows that I think he knew that as well. Well, uh, after it was over, he was interviewed uh, for some reason or other. I can't remember what it was all about. But in the middle of it, he talked about opera. And said, you know, it uh, it was easy. It was so easy. I how I, I maybe figure out next. And I thought, mm -hmm. <laughs> how brilliant! How brilliant. We um, all we all have stories about that particular episode in our lives. Uh, it was. When, um, when, it when was. I, I, you had a chat with him. I'm still waiting to have the chat. <laughs> well, I tell you that, Tom. Though it was a it was the weirdest thing because when he was at our place directing this film. He came to check out the venue the day before and he had about four people with him and, and me and Mike were in this circle with four people, assistant directors and him. And, and he would say, and I mean this literally, this is not a, a metaphorical story. He would say to someone, what time does the sun go down here? And it would go from person to person until it got to me and Mike. And then we'd answer and it'd go back around the circle because we wasn't meant to talk to him. You know, and, and after a while of this um, eight o'clock, eight o'clock, eight o'clock, going around it and then back, you know, whereabouts over there. And we just thought, this is nonsense. This is absolutely nonsense. So that's when I broke it by saying, oh, you know, you know, we've got a mutual uh, you know, friend, Creator, so which works with, and that's just helped break it. And then he started talking to us and you could see his uh, staff aghast that someone had actually <laughs> spoken yeah. to him. Um, but then it was I, much easier. <laughs> yes. Mark Jonathan, who was lighting, Marco was lighting the uh, Janice Skiki, never did have a conversation with him. Really? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, he was in the stalls lighting the show, and this gentleman was two or three seats away from him. They never talked. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Well, it's, um, we worked together, actually, for the only time so far, at least, um, a couple of years ago in a co-production that OHP did with Scottish Opera of Ariadne. Uh, yeah. But timing and diary problems we didn't get you at our bit of the co-production down at Holland Park so it's still in work but that was a fabulous production to work on at Scottish wasn't it? Uh, it was, first day it was just, next and, uh, Anthony was fantastic yeah. it was just a, such a happy happy experience and um, there are so many good things to think about it it was uh, it, it was lovely uh, Jamie McDougall was the uh, house of my set he was alongside mm -hmm. me uh, and it was lovely to work with Jamie as a singer I'd, done interviews such as this with him for uh, Radio Scotland and various things at different times. Uh, but there were lots of lovely memories about it and uh, it was a happy time, really happy time. It was time. a great one because um, Anthony designed it as well, Anthony McDonald yeah. and designed and yeah. he designed it very gorgeously for me because he designed it as the facade of Holland. Absolutely, your place. Your place. And so that was one of the weirdest things to walk into a rehearsal room in, in Glasgow and see our houses <laughs> there. Yeah. And, yeah. But it was it was a, it was a wonderful time, and I you know it was Stephen came in and did and did the role you were doing, but uh, and he was great. But it was really it was a real shame for me that we didn't get you there. But it was um, it was nice to at least work well, on that because it was a great. I was I was sorry not to be. It, it was it was a it was a tuppenny bus ride really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All the things that things got Scotland when I had. But um, <laughs> I'm going to let you go. It's a pleasure to see you. Um, we've both got the. Uh, the football season starting this weekend, so Sunderland have got a, a, a yeah. tough home now. I'm Spurs man. Um, right. Oh well, you can't help that. I, I, I go back to the days. <laughs> I go back to the days of when we um, had that challenge with you with Danny Blanchflower and Johnny White and uh, Mackay and the whole Bill Brown in goal, all of that. Good it's team. All those matches. Yeah. 
great team. team. Yeah. In fact, um, I, I know only on social media, we haven't actually met, but we talked, but uh, John White, who's a Spurs player, for those of you who don't know, uh, mm. son, um, I, I know him, he's a photographer. He was just, um, he, was, he was like only a couple of months old when John White died. And, died uh, uh, from lightning at the golf course. Yeah, just on the road. Terrible story. No, no, but it was a, that was a, I mean, I didn't see that team, but what a team. But yeah, and no, I can't help being a Spurs supporter. You're absolutely right. Well, there we are. There you go. But, no hope for some people. <laughs> so thanks so much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to talk to you. I could talk to you for hours and maybe we'd do another one at some point, but lovely to see you, Tom. Thanks. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with James Clutton. For more information on Opera Holland Park, please visit www.operahollandpark.com.